Hey Valley family, Merry Christmas. It is Christmas sweater Sunday. I normally don't dress like this, but I'm a team player and I know you are too joining us online. Uh, I hope you have your Christmas sweater on even if you're sitting on the couch right now. Uh, and of course our Poughkeepsie campus, we love all our Valley people online and in Poughkeepsie. And Oh my goodness, Woo! Front row, right there in Regal. Mm, that's a real winner you got. Yeah, you. I'm talking about you. Wow! Okay, so anyway, it's just another way that we have fun uh, during the Christmas holiday. Going back years, we've done this actually uh, right now. Hope you'll get your pictures taken. A great photo op for the whole family on Christmas sweater Sunday. Uh, talking about that, actually, it was kind of interesting this past week, I uh, had some of the staff in my office uh, one day, and we we're talking about Christmas sweater Sunday. We we're talking about all the plans. And at one point, I wrote up on the board, uh, just abbreviated Christmas, instead of writing out the whole word Christmas, I put C-Mass, uh, you know, just as an abbreviation. And, and someone on staff was like, well, thank goodness you didn't write Xmas. And I said, Why? And they're like, you know, Xmas, like kicking Christ out of Christmas. And I was like, well, really, that's not what that means. Uh, I could have wrote Xmas. Uh, and, and he said, well, what do you mean? And uh, it's kind of interesting how misinformed, especially Christians are, that Xmas is actually more appropriate and shows more respect uh, than actually the word Christmas as we write it out. Uh, the letter X that we look at as X is actually the first letter in Greek that spells Christ. And in the early church, a secret symbol of Christianity, because it was a persecuted church, was an X. And that's the first letter of Christ. And so oftentimes you're talking with someone in the first century, they would just draw a little X in the sand with their, with their sandal or their toe, and that would identify them as a Christian. And so for the early church for centuries, X was a symbol of Jesus Christ because it's the first letter in Christ. And so saying Mary Xmas is not some pagan, you know, uh, compromise to, you know, some pagan religion or anything. It actually is incredibly historically accurate and respectful. And that staff member said, oh my gosh, I think you should share that with the whole staff, so uh, with the whole church. So there you go, shared it with the whole church. You can Google that. They have this thing out now called Google where you can find out information that corrects misinformation and, and just, just Google that sometimes. So Merry Xmas, Valley family. Hope you're having a great Xmas and uh, have done all your Xmas shopping. And there you go. Doesn't that just feel good to know we really know what we're actually talking about? Uh, that's why I took all those... Uh, graduate courses and all that stuff I have all those letters after my name is to be able to explain things like that but anyway we're in the middle of this series called something for you that we kicked off last week and we're unpacking probably the most common uh, passage of scripture or verse in all the bible uh, but that most of the time we don't even realize that in actuality it's a verse about Christmas, and uh, we're going to take the next step in that today. I hope you'll go ahead, open up your Valley app. A lot of great notes that you're going to want to look back on and follow along with and save uh, for future reference. And so let's look at it. John 3.16 is what we're talking about here, and, and this is really the outline for this whole series leading right up to our Christmas services on December the 23rd and the 24th. You'll be hearing some more about that. But here it is. 
John 3.16, King James Version, for God so loved, and we talked about that last week, uh, God loved and what that means. So God so loved the world. We're going to talk about today how he loved the world so much as we talk about world changer that he gave. That's next week. We're going to talk about what he, gave, what he gave, his generosity. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever, and that's going to be the whole focal, focal point of our Christmas series, uh, services on the 23rd and the 24th, whosoever. You are one of the whosoever. I am the whosoever. We all, everyone is a whosoever. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I want to give you the big idea of this message, and then we're going to drill down real deep onto it, into it as we talk about for God so loved the world. And here's the big idea. One of the best ways to love God is to love those he loves. One of the best ways to love God is to love those that he loves. And the Bible makes it perfectly clear in John 3.16, God so loved the world. That means everybody in it. The worst of the worst, the best of the best, God loves the world. The worst that there's ever been, are right now, or ever will be, and the best of the best. For God so loved the world. And so one of the best ways that really you and I can love God is to love those that he loves, and that's everyone. In fact, Jesus put it this way, that that's going to be a hallmark of all of his followers In John chapter 13, Jesus put it this way, a new commandment I give you, love one another. And I kind of wish that he'd stopped the thought, stopped talking at that point, but then he explains exactly what that love is supposed to look like. He says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. You and I are to love one another, love others just like Jesus loved you, just like Jesus loves me. So you must love one another. And watch this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples by your church attendance. Nope. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples by that beautiful cross you wear around your neck. Nope. By your bumper sticker. Nope. By the way that you talk very spiritual when you talk to other Christians and you don't talk that way to anyone else any other time. Nope. If you love one another, the number one thing, the the hallmark, the defining action for every follower of Christ, Jesus said, should be love, that people see the love from you and me. Now, it's interesting, there's a number of words in Greek, the the original language of the New Testament, a a kind of Greek, really not spoken today so much, but but in in Greek language, which is a very, very uh, exacting, very precise language, uh, there's a number of words for love. And and the word here that that Jesus is using when he says love one another is a word I I wanna talk about in some detail today. It's called agape. But for the most part, this is divine, perfect, unconditional love is what agape would mean. But for the most part, we're familiar with, and we touched on this a little bit last week in the first message, we're familiar with worldly love. And worldly love is very, very different. Worldly love is actually a Greek word, not agape, but eros. And it's where we get our word actually erotic from. And, and that tells an awful lot. Of, interestingly enough, the symbol for eros, for love, which is conditional and all, the Greek symbol, let's put it up, is actually 
a snake that's eating itself. A, a, a snake that is turned inside and is actually consuming itself. That's the Greek symbol for, for a word love, that is eros. And what that means is, is love that is actually self-referential, self-centered, self-consuming, self-interest, and self-seeking. That's, that's the Greek understanding of eros love. Love that is conditional. In other words, when we love the lovable, when we love something that's lovely, that's really eros. It, it's, it's, it's not unconditional at all. It, it's not the God kind of love. It, it's actually love that has been tainted in a way and compromised. In fact, I love what C.S. Lewis, he, he put it this way, when sin entered, all the world was bent. When sin entered the world in the garden with Adam and Eve and their sin, it's like all the world, there's a bent in all of humanity. And so agape love that we're going to talk about, we can only get that from God. And we can only demonstrate that to others and, and give agape love to others because of the power of God, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so a few years back, a number of years back, I, I talked a little bit about this, and it was kind of interesting. I was praying about it, and, and Susie and I were kind of talking about, okay, what, what, what might be important in this Christmas series? And then in our community group, someone brought up, uh, actually, this past week, what we were already thinking about, this whole idea that I taught on explaining the difference between agape, God's love, and eros love, uh, and, and, and it has to do with like the, the analogy of hooks and arrows, hooks and arrows. So uh, let, me, let me put up a pic of uh, eros love. This is love with a hook. In, in other words, this is love for what you can do for me. This is love with a hidden agenda. Again, it's this whole idea of self-reverential, self-centered, self-consuming, self-interest, self-seeking, that it's always about me. It's always about mine. It's always about what's good for me. It's not about selflessness. And so this is a great picture of eros love is love with a hook, with conditions, with demands, that ultimately it's not for the other person's benefit or group's benefit. It's really, it hooks back around. It's for my personal benefit and how it makes me feel and how I'll be able to get ahead or, or uh, I'll be able to experience something really positive and great because of this. If we're going to show a symbol or a chart for agape love, let's put that up. Agape love is straight arrow love. No agenda. No benefit. Listen, John 3.16, again, God, when he sent his son Jesus, it wasn't to benefit him. God has no need whatsoever. Humanity had a need. And so God, by sending his son Jesus, he's so Agape, he so loved the world, it wasn't a personal benefit to him at all. It wasn't, surely wasn't a personal benefit to Jesus. It was agape, it was straight arrow, perfect, unconditional love. That's why he sent his son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so this is a great example of God's love is love without a hook, straight arrow. And the reality is for many of us, we, we actually are not necessarily that eros bent love. It's not necessarily agape love, but it probably it looks a lot like this, a mixture. Uh, a lot of times it can start out as something that looks selfless, and then it bends. 
And I think C.S. Lewis had it totally right when he said, when sin entered, all the world was bent. That's you and that's me. All the world was bent. And so all of life really can be reduced to those three arrows. The eros hook, the agape arrow, or the mixture that we see right there. Crooked or mixture. And, and all of, every relationship we have, the way we respond to people, can all be identified by those three. Straight arrow, love with a hook, or a mixture of the two. You know what I'm talking about. We've all had people that have like, hey, I'd love for you to come to my house for dinner. We just want to bless you. And then when you get there, they eat the meal, and then they give you the sales pitch for their business. That's love with a hook. It's not about you. It's about them. It, it's, it's, or at best, it's like this. We, we've all met people that it seemed like, oh, this is what it was all about, but there's a hidden agenda that's actually going to benefit them personally. It's not really care and concern about us. In contrast to this, Jesus demonstrated through and through agape love in everything he said, everything that he did. In fact, I think the best ex explanation for it is probably uh, a passage that you hear read a lot of times at weddings, but then you forget about it in your marriage. It's real easy. Uh, but let's look at it. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love, and this is the word agape. It's not eros. It's not love with a hook. It's not even a mixture. It's perfect, unconditional love the divine love that only comes from God, and it describes that love. And one of the things I love is because, not to be redundant, but you can actually take the word love out and put the word Jesus in because it's a perfect description of who Jesus was and who he is. And you know what? I, I remember when Susie and I were going through our premarital counseling before we were married, and uh, our pastor said, Greg, if you're gonna be the husband God wants you to be, you should be able to take up that word love and put your name in it. Because that's what God expects of you. And he said the same to Susie as, as, as a wife, uh, and that's a tall order that I've been trying to live, do my best to live by, by the power of the Holy Spirit ever since. And, and so look at it, love is patient. Jesus is patient. Love is kind. Jesus is kind. You get the idea? It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. There's eros, love with a hook, right there. It's the opposite of agape. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That's what love really is. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Agape, straight arrow love, never fails. Anytime there's been a failure to love, it's not really love. Because agape, God's love really never fails. So real quickly, let me give you seven traits of agape. Seven traits or seven characteristics of straight arrow love because this is how God loved you. This is how God loves you or loves me. This is how God loves the world for God so agaped the world. And, and you know, I was thinking about that. It's, it's kind of crazy. He's so loved. He's so agape. It's absolutely perfect. But you ever heard someone say this before? Like uh, instead of saying, oh, that's cute, they'll actually say, that's too cute. 
It's like, it's just cute, but it's like cute magnified. That's too cute. That's what John 3.16 says, for God so agaped. You can't improve on agape, but God did anyway. It's like compounded. God so loved the world in agape love. Seven characteristics of agape. First of all, agape loves without a self-centered bent. Real simple. There's no hook. There's no benefit for God in you and I loving him back. There's a great benefit for us loving him back. But that's why he loves every single one of us the same. There's nothing you'll ever do that will make him love you less. We can reject his love, and many, many people do. We can receive his love, and I hope you have. And if you haven't, you will. But it's not going to keep him whether we reject his love or accept his love. It doesn't keep him from loving us, and it doesn't diminish his love for us. Uh, Again, that's what it says, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world... There's no bent in it that he gave his only, uh, one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Think about it for just a minute. Jesus hanging on the cross. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. About the ones that are mocking him, that, that whipped him, that beat him, that pulled his beard out, spit in his face, jammed the crown of thorns on his head nailed him to the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's love. That's agape love without a self-centered bent. Here's the second thing. Agape is not dependent upon us. It's not dependent on you. It's not dependent on me to, to, to muster up agape love. In fact, it's impossible 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says, And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us, the agape. We rely on the agape that God has for us. God is agape. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. We don't become God, but whoever has received God's love We become a channel, is what God wants for you and me, a channel that God's agape love can flow through to others. Just as Jesus said, this is how everyone's going to know. You're my disciples, boys, by the love you have one for another, the love you show to other people. And so really, really important. It's not dependent on us. God is is love. That is the clearest description of who God is. God is not anger. God is not judgment. God is not condemnation. God is love. And if, because this is the essence of who God is, if he ever for a moment loves you less than perfectly and unconditionally, he'll cease to become God. It'll never happen. God is love. So agape is not dependent on us. It's 100% dependent upon him, upon God. Third uh, trait of agape is agape initiates first. I love this, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. It says, we love because he first loved us. We love in response to the love that he first gave you and me. In other words, God always takes the first step. Agape, real love. Listen, in our marriages, real love means I take the first step means you take the first step, should take the first step. When there's conflict in your marriage, take the first step. That's what love does. 
When, when there's tension and, and, and you don't want to talk, love will take the first step to break the ice. That's love. Agape love. And here's the fourth trait of agape love. Agape regulates us. I love this. Agape regulates. That, that's what God wants, that his love would regulate your life and my life. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the Bible says, for Christ's love compels us. Same idea, it regulates us. It compels us. Uh, Christ's love inspires us. Christ's love motivates us. Christ's love kind of like pushes from behind. Go on, Greg, love other people the way that I've loved you. Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. Jesus died for everyone and therefore all died, that he died for every single person, that through his sinless life, and that's why we celebrate the coming of Jesus at Christmas, because God did for you and for me what we could never do for ourselves. He sent his son to live a sinless life, and he laid that life down as a sacrifice and a substitute for you and for me, and he paid the price. That's why he said, it is finished on the cross. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, that's how we know, paid in full. He paid the price. There's, you don't have a future payment left for your personal sins. I don't have a future payment that I gotta work out at some point for my personal sins. I don't have to be good enough. Paid in full. I'll never earn it, never deserve it. It's a free gift from God. It is finished. And he rose from the dead. That's why we can be confident of that. And when we receive his sacrifice, when we receive and accept God's love, that's when we become children of God, the Bible says. And so it regulates us. This word compels is pretty interesting. Uh, it, it literally means to exercise continuous control over someone or something, that the love of Christ compels us. It, it, it inspires, it motivates. It's like a jet pack on our back that pushes us out of our comfort zone, to love those even that are unlovable, that we don't just love what is or who is lovely, but we love everyone because Christ loved them, because God so loved the world and everyone in it. It, it, it causes us to take steps of boldness that maybe we would never take on our own because God's love regulates us, it compels us and inspires us. You know, uh, one of my favorite memories, have you ever had a, like a moment, one of my favorite Christmas moments, you ever had one of these moments where it's like, this is just too good to keep to myself. I need to share it, it's just too good. It's one of my favorite Christmas memories, I, I love to tell it, uh, was, was Christmas 1986. Christmas 1986, uh, I was a freshman in college and, uh, and, and actually I was dating another young lady before Susie and I ever went out and she played the piano and at one point we went into a cafe and there was a piano there and uh, the cafeteria was all decorated for Christmas. Even though it was Pensacola, Florida, it's like 75 degrees and you're sweating to death, certainly in a sweater. And uh, she, she really was really great at playing the piano and, and so she just sat down we started singing some Christmas songs and she played them there. I sat on the bench next to her. And, uh, and I was like, this is just too perfect of a moment for just the two of us. I wanna share it with someone. And so I, I, I got up and, and just 
I didn't want to keep it selfish to just, to just the two of us. And, and I ran out into the hallway. I ran into the library and in the outer library there where people could talk and all. One of my friends is, is, is in my dorm. And one of my buddies is there with his girlfriend. And I said, Andrew, come here, man. Come here. You, you two, come here. And, uh, and, and I ran back around the corner. They followed me. And they came around the piano. And, and right there as I was sitting there with, with, with a young lady I was dating at the time and my buddy Andrew and his girlfriend, the girl I was dating just started playing Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Man, it was just magical. And uh, it got to that part of the song where it says, you know, through the years we all will be together if the fates allow. And it wasn't just a moment. I didn't realize just, just by extending that invitation that it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. That young lady and I ended up breaking up, but my buddy Andrew, the, uh, the girl he was dating at the time, her name was Susie Warner. And I've been with her and we've been together every Christmas since 1986. You, you never know when, when something just inspires you. And, and I know, man, I'm not saying I'm a selfless person all the time, but in that moment, just sitting there, I just wanted to share that moment with other people. And, and you know what? I, I believe there's going to, I believe Christmas, our Christmas services on December the 23rd and the 24th, I believe it's going to be a moment that if you hadn't shared that moment with someone else and invited them to come, I, I think you're going to walk out like, man, that was fantastic, but I, I wish I'd shared it with someone who really, really needed to hear it. I do. Because the love of Christ, it compels us. It gives us boldness. It inspires us. It motivates us to, to get outside of ourselves and to show love to someone else instead. Here's the fifth thing about agape love. You know what it does? It creates community. Agape love creates community. I love this Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16. The Bible says he makes, talking about the love of God, what ends up happening when we demonstrate and we show love, the agape love to others, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. It, it causes uh, the body of Christ, uh, there are those added to the body of Christ, and we have community with one another. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of, there it is, agape. That's the word right there that's used. There's, there's a bunch of different words for love in Greek that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of agape. It, it really creates community. You know, uh, this past week, uh, I was talking with somebody and, and they said something funny to me. I was like, what? Uh, they have some friends that go to some other churches in the community and they were talking about their churches and, and my buddy attends here at Valley and, uh, and, and he said, uh, one, one of his friends said, oh, you go to Valley. <laughs> oh, you go to the rich church. Rich church? What a rich church? We're not rich. You know what we are? We're not rich. I do believe, though, we're the most generous church. We're the most generous. And it's amazing how people think if you're generous, you've got to be rich. And we are not. 
We do the right thing with, with, with what the Valley family gives, and we're good stewards, but we are far, far, far from rich. In fact, there are a lot more, can I put this, there's a lot more wealthier churches like within one mile of here than our church is. But I don't believe there's any church in our community that's more generous than we are. And, and that creates community. That, that comes out of the love that we receive from God. And, and so my wife Susie, she was at Target this week and, and we were talking, we loved the, just opportunities to be generous as a church. And, and, and she, she said, you know what? Let's be extra generous even to the ladies at Unshattered this year. We do all kinds of things for the Walter Hoving Home. Uh, we do all kinds of things for the children of ladies at the Walter Hoving Home and other different you know, great organizations and charities, Poughkeepsie Children's Home, all, all kinds of organizations in our community. But the ladies that are in Unshattered right next door to our Hopewell campus here, uh, they've all graduated and moved out of the Walter Hoving Home. And, and Susie was like, you know what, we should do something special for them. So I said, let's do it. And, and so she went to Target and she was got gift cards and and there's like nine or ten of them and she got gift cards for each and every one of them and we 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 talked about it and, and decided you know how much to give to each lady and and while she was at the register getting checked out the woman said wow I wish I was in your family the, the cashier and my wife said what do you mean she goes look at all these gift cards boy someone's gonna have a Merry Christmas and my wife said no 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 that's not for my family that's for and she began to explain about unshattered and, and the woman looked at her and goes, wow, you are incredibly generous. And so she said, no, 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 I'm not. But my church is. My church is because we believe what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And you'll rarely hear a church talk about that in terms of being generous to other people. It's normally you be generous to us. But, but you know, I, I, I don't apologize that we're generous and, and we're blessed, and I'd rather be blessed than downright broke. I just, just a thought. I don't think that glorifies God at all. But we're, we're not rich, but we are generous. Very, very generous. And, and you know what? That creates community because that's what lo love gives. We're going to talk about that next week. Love gives. So it creates community. Here's the sixth thing agape never ends, it never ends. Real simply, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, love never fails. Love never, it never ends. Anytime we say we love and it ends, it stops, we don't love. It wasn't ever love. That, that's not agape. It may be eros, it may be some other form. It may be love with a hook. But it's not straight arrow love. It's not perfect, unconditional, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. God love. Agape never fails. It never does, never ends. And here's the seventh thing. Agape loves our enemies. Agape actually even loves our enemies. Look at what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 and 45. Jesus, red letter stuff here in a red letter version of the Bible that has Jesus' words in red letters. But I tell you, love. This word is not eros. It's not phileo, which is, is brotherly love, where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. The Greek word phileo is not those words. I tell you, Jesus tells you and I as followers, agape your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You agape, straight arrow, love, 
unconditionally, even those that you might would think are your enemies, even those who don't agree with your politics, even those who may be prejudiced, even those who persecute you, even those who reject you, you agape them just like God loves you. And you know what? You will be showing you're actually children of your heavenly Father. Conditional love does not show that we're followers of Christ. That's worldly love, agape love unconditionally then also in Romans chapter 12 verse 14 same idea bless those who persecute you don't curse them pray that God will bless them you know why I think it says this the Bible says this God because if you pray with a real heart for someone who is persecuting you you know it changes your heart gets soft towards them and, and you know what also happens when you pray for people with a sincere heart your tone gets different when you talk to them you talk about them. Because what happens? God's love, agape, begins to be shown. And so this is what God wants for every one of us, that we would show agape love. And it's, and it's God's unconditional love that we see through Jesus Christ that is ultimately going to change this world. And so when it comes to being world changers, and that's what God wants of you, that's what he wants of me, that we would change our world. And what does that mean? Right outside these doors, in our community first, in this, in this county, in this state, in this nation, and then the whole world. Two things about world changers I think that are real important. First of all, we need to understand that world changers have an eternal mindset. That's what God wants from you and from me, an eternal mindset. They see life through the lens of eternity, not just here and now, the moment that we have. In John chapter four, verse 35, Jesus put it this way, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Open your eyes and look for the fields. They're ripe for harvest. He, he says, just, just do you see out there a world that needs to experience the love of Jesus Christ? I remember last week I encouraged everybody, and I do it again, these little... Uh, cars that we've had made up. These are invitations. These aren't reminders. These are invitations for you to invite your unchurched friends, family members, neighbors, coworkers to one of our Christmas services. And, and, and don't just invite them. Tell them, this is when I'm going. I'd love to, for you to come with me and we'll sit together and, and, and reserve a seat for them. One woman in our church, she actually took these invitations and she went out and bought a Christmas ornament and made some cookies and she personally delivered these not just to her neighbor but every single person in her neighborhood in her neighborhood and after she just was just feeling so great about it and she actually took a picture of what she put together uh, her and her family to give to every single person in her neighborhood every home with an invitation to the, our services and then uh, she, te she texted it and, and sent it to me and to Susie and said, look, I just wanted to let you know, it may be my whole neighborhood shows up. I, I love that because she was opening her eyes. She's seeing the way Jesus said, we need to look. We need to look out there and open our eyes and see how many people don't know Jesus. And he loves them. And we need to show that love. And then she texted me a couple days later and she said, actually, uh, one person replied back. There were several that replied back. Well, one, she said, I think you'll find this interesting small world. One is an architect at the architectural firm that we're using for the Poughkeepsie project. And he said, I'm actually one of the architects working on the Sheaf Road project. How about that? Just saw love. Open your eyes. I encourage you. Valley family, let's open our eyes. 
Open our eyes and see and look at the, the fields. They're ripe with harvest. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, the Bible says, So don't look out on your troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that, we cannot, that cannot be seen. For these things we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever last forever. So world changers have an eternal mindset. And here's the, the, the second thing. World changers have a sense of urgency. Do it now. Not, not someday. Do it now. Invite now. Not later, not, not next week. Now. Do it now. Because world changers have a sense of urgency. In other words, they make the most of every day. They make the most of every day. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. What does that look like? Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. None of us knows how, how many days our neighbor has left. None of us know how many days we've got left. That's why we need to make the most of every opportunity. And boy, Christmas is a tremendous opportunity to show God's agape love. Allow it to flow through us and show others how much God loves them. For God so loved the world. One of the best ways to love God is to love those that he loves. Right now, I'm just gonna ask, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for loving us so well. And I just say it and I just say it again. Thank you for loving us so well. Not because we were lovable or lovely, but because you are love. And God, I just pray that you would help us. We, we can't straighten out ourselves, Lord. We're, Sin has called us, caused us all to be bent. But Lord, we pray that the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, would straighten us out so that we could love straight arrow, agape love others. Lord, convict us when we love other people with a hook, with a hidden agenda, really in a way that just benefit us and it's not to benefit and bless them. Straighten us out, Lord by your Holy Spirit, that your agape love would flow through us and show through us this Christmas. Thank you, Lord. And right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wanna give you an opportunity, whether you're watching us online or maybe at our Poughkeepsie campus at Regal Cinemas, if you've never taken that first step of receiving God's love for you. I wanna lead you in a prayer right now of accepting God's love and what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me through his sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection from the dead. The Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how we accept God's love through Jesus Christ. So if you've never done it before, I wanna just lead you in a prayer that you can repeat after me right now, even in a whisper, and open your heart up to Jesus and receive 
God's love and forgiveness in this moment. Just repeat this prayer after me right now. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I turn from them today and I receive Jesus Christ. Jesus be my Lord. Jesus be my Savior. Jesus, thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. And thank you for rising from the dead for me. Thank you that I'm forgiven because of your sacrifice. And I ask you to lead me by your Holy Spirit from this day forward. And I will follow you. Amen.